You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome to a live episode of the Claret and Blue podcast here on Facebook and YouTube. My name is Dan Rowlandson. I'm joined, as always, by James Rushton. James, first of all, how are you this fine Sunday afternoon? I'll tell you what, I'm feeling a lot better now than I was about 55 minutes into that throughout the <laughs> second half. I mean, when the second half uh, kicked off, I was still making a cup of tea, letting that brew five minutes. So uh, <laughs> letting that hang over the, the start of the second half because it, uh, it was a real beatdown for quite a bit. But man, I'm feeling a lot better now at the full whist- full-time whistle than I was in that second half, at the start of that second half. Yeah, I was having a bacon sandwich at half time and it, I'd heard that the second half had kicked off and I was like, oh, I don't care, whatever, I'm not yeah. going to miss anything. Um, so for those that don't know, Aston Villa 3, Southampton 4. I was very much prepared to be coming on here and talking about Aston Villa nil, Southampton 4, if, if not more. Um, terrible first half, slightly improved, or maybe slightly improved harsh, but definitely improved second half, but still not quite enough to uh, to get the point in the end. And that's what's disappointing. Yeah, uh, I mean, you masters of your own demise, aren't you? It's really, really, really tough to kind of come back from a position, especially, you know, it's tough to come back from two goals down if you, you know, give away three goals. And they are complete and utter giveaways in every sense of the word. If you give yeah. away those amount of goals, you are going to struggle really badly. And, you know, I think it's credit to Villa that you are kind of, you, you are, you do get into a position where that scoreline isn't as horrific as it was. And I think if you go back to the chances we had through Trezeguet, the chances that McCarthy stopped, we were in a position to kind of get back in even at 4-0 down. But, you know, that's taking those positives and those bigger negatives because those positives completely diluted by those negatives. If you're making those naive mistakes very early on in games to come, you're going to make, you know, Villa are a team that are going to have to work hard anyway. Making that job even harder, it's, it's, uh, it's only going one way. Yeah, in a, in a sense, it's nice that we've been able to score three goals in a difficult game where we've not been great, but you've scored three goals and come away with nothing. There's an interesting comment here from Alex Byrne on YouTube. He says, I'm actually more angry that we scored three. It makes it more obvious that the first half mistakes cost us. Which, yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I don't know whether I'd say angry, but definitely disappointed that I think, if I can just throw the stats up on screen quickly, the, the second goal for Villa comes in the 93rd minute. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, if, I mean that second, if that second goal comes on 75 you've got 15 minutes plus to, to score another two and you might have you might be able to nick the point it's, it's a little bit too little too late isn't it from Villa and I'm, I mean you look at those stats I'm getting distracted but the fact they've had four shots on target and they've all gone in pretty much anything Southampton did worked every goal was was, was a great goal particularly the, the the last three it's just a shame that whenever you know pretty much anything Danny Ings and James Ward-Prowse touch turns to gold but meanwhile Trezeguet gets three volleys all from the same <laughs> position and they either go straight at the goalkeeper like a damp squib or, or nothing comes from it that's annoying yeah I think Alex McCarthy really stepped up um, for Southampton and it's a shame that you know with how much praise he poured on Emmy Martinez he gets kind of three goals on an absolute postage well four goals actually on an absolute postage stamp against him I mean you say what you want about the four goals or the low expected goals chances they had Maybe in the position James Rodgers prices when he places the ball down, it is a low chance, a low percentage chance. The second he hits it, it's only going in one direction. It's, only, mm-hmm. it's going in the top corner both times and nobody's stopping it. So I think, and the Yannick Vestergaard one, it's a, it's a really good goal. And even though it's not a you know, spectacular free kick from outside the box, it's a really, really good header and it's taking oh, advantage yeah. of a complete mismatch. Well, so yeah, think, let's, let's talk yeah. about each goal. Let's break it down. First of all, the first three... Off the top of my head, definitely the first three. I'm not sure, I can't even remember what happened for the fourth. I think Danny Ings just cut inside, didn't he, from May Cash and, and curled in. But the first three all come from Villa 
errors, don't they, really? You've got yeah. McGinn marking, was it Vestergaard? Absolute yeah. mismatch. I think WM stated as he was coming out of the tunnel about Vestergaard being massive. And then John McGinn probably our sport, smallest player is marking him from a, from a corner. That's mental. First to pull all. it in perspective, I think, so this is from FB Ref, and I don't know. They, they class Jack Grealish as five foot eight and a half, and I think he might be a bit taller than that. But from FB Ref, Vestergaard's six foot six, which is, you know, Martinez is six three and Tyron Mings is six four, so he, he's massive. Like Wikipedia says to... that John McGinn is 5'10". I wouldn't have said he was 5'10". I'm pretty sure he's, he's shorter than Jack yeah, it still It still says 5'10 on FB ref for him again. And I was going to say Traore should look taller, but Traore, it says Traore is 5'9". So, look, you've just got to make it difficult. And look, you can't put Martinez on Vestergaard, so you've got to do the next, next best thing. Maybe if you're doing this zone or marking, put John McGinn in that zone, put Tyrone Mings. If Tyrone Mings is... If, if McGinn's man-marking Vestergaard, that's a mismatch. And how you yeah. beat zone or marking or, or, or man-to-man marking is that mismatch creating that mismatch the problem is Villa set up for a corner that they had that exact same routine on I think it was Shea Adams's disallowed goal where um McGinn was marking Vest- so McGinn was marking Vestergaard there um they set up for, the, for that exact same corner routine on a, a dead ball situation which is closer to the box so they're yeah. trying to do the same situation the ball's coming in faster from a different angle and it's hitting the mark the target and you you know if you're setting up for corners and deflecting them and doing doing a job there you can't expect that to happen and I think questions need to be raised not necessarily about like the coaching but who is making that decision because that's an on-pitch decision made by them you know the captain the defensive leaders goalkeeper someone needs to take responsibility you know they need to say look McGinn you can't be marking Vestergaard that is a miss that you can see that clear as day mismatch and even then Vestergaard shakes him and loses him really easily and has a free header on the ball so yeah I think he probably would have got away from yeah, you know, a handful of players around would be too harsh on McGinn for that particular yeah. instance. Because I don't think uh, there's a few comments coming in already. He didn't have a great game overall. No. I'm not going to hammer him too much for losing a six foot six giant. Because yeah. you know, I think most of our players probably would have struggled, and it was a great header. Um, the other goals, I, I can't remember what what free kick was given away for the second one, but you just don't give cheap free kicks away on the edge of the box when you're playing against somebody like Ward Prowse. He's a free kick specialist. That's obvious for anyone to see. It's, it's silly to do that. The third one, Matty Cash. You know, handling it on the edge of the area again. You, I feel like once you've when you've literally just seen it, um, more prowls score a free kick from a very similar area. Surely you're better off just letting it go over your head and hope and walk up, <laughs> miscontrols it and, f- and fires from the edge of the box. Surely that's less. You know, talking about expected goals, that's a less chance of an expected goal than giving Ward Prowse a free shot from 19 yards. Yeah, so just to finish on the, the Vestergaard one, I think a lot of complaints came out, uh, especially in the WM commentary about zonal marking. Um, if McGinn's on Vestergaard and following him, that's a mixed marking scheme because you do have Mings, Konza, Matty Cash and target in marking zones and defending zones. That's not the problem. The problem is when it comes to that, the man marking segment, you have Douglas Louise defending one one striker and you have um, McGinn defending Vestergaard. That needs to be switched up and you need to deal with that on the spot. They didn't us a goal um, so for these fouls I think it goes back to the conversation lots of people bringing out expected goals saying Villa had better chances look that shot may have been a low percentage shot from uh, James Will Price he had two chances to do the exact same shot from low percentage positions I'd argue when that shot is given again there's only one place those strikes are going in you don't give Banksy like a free wall to paint on do you it's like you <laughs> can't make it that easy and Villa for three goals made it specifically easy for Southampton to do a very specific yeah. job um, so look positive fight back but those three goals outrageous yeah, well, there's a lot of interesting comments coming through, actually, and I do remind me, I will come back to these um, a little bit later in the episode. I just want to finally you know, try and wrap up as much of the game as we can before going through any specifics. Um, 
the two free kicks though not taking anything away yeah. from from Ward Prowler's excellent technique very very good free kick take even for the first one you're looking at it going Christ this is dangerous for the second one I'm sat there thinking oh this is might be a bit too close to get it up and over the wall but again very 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 good technique uh, a little bit disappointing that Tyra Mings doesn't jump in the wall but you know you can't have it uh, yeah that, that was annoying one to kind of uh... Maybe he thinks he's, well. he's going to go yeah. under the wall, but surely all the all of the wall needs to be in unison doing either staying on the floor or all going up. I don't know. It's just one of those things, isn't it? Again, excellent technique, and by that point, the game is basically over. It comes to that handball with Matty Cash. It's like, I would rather you te- let Walcott test the keeper, yeah, yeah, give him exactly. the chance to shoot. He might miscontrol it for a start. Yeah, where it comes to Tyra Mings. If, if he thinks it's going under, I'd rather they try and do that, try and trick the wall rather than doing the obvious thing going up and over because James Ward-Prowse is going gonna, is gonna to score that. He's been doing that since he was 17. <laughs> like This is a very obvious thing and it needs to be yeah. stopped because you give those those two exact chances away. He buries one, you give him a chance to do the exact same thing again, which is a, a big, big problem. Yeah, it's just it's just an annoying game, isn't it? I think like somebody said said at the start, if that was 4-0, yes, I'd have been angry at 4-0 because it's a poor yeah. result. But 4-3 makes me feel like oh, if we weren't just so bad in that first half, we could probably have got a point today. I said during the second half, those times where you, you're looking at Southampton thinking, oh, they can be got out here. They're not, yeah, again, I think Vestigar made a great block from Trezeguet for one of the, yeah. one of one of those chances he had. But they weren't like solid defensively. You know, it wasn't it wasn't an easy, comfortable game for Southampton. There's a few people saying that they've taken their foot off the gas in the second half, and that's how Villa have got back into it. Which yes, I understand. Yeah. It's probably there probably is a little bit of that. But Villa looked like they could still create chances, and that Southampton could be got at. So I think if it isn't four nil at half time or three nil, whatever it was, Villa have got a chance to get something out of that game in the end. And we've just made it too difficult for us, for ourselves, and that's what I'm disappointed with more than anything. Yeah, those those three chances immediately, you know, you have a disallowed goal early on, you have loads of warning shots and Villa don't react to these warning shots. You yeah. know, one, one of the goals, the, the marking routine, it's the same one they set up exact for a corner and they get they get tested and it, they get played. Um, so yeah, they did make it really hard for themselves. But the good thing about all these goals is they're very specific types of goals that surely, you know, now between now and the next match, you can look at that and correct those mistakes because you look at the performance in general, largely from open play pretty positive it was just in those set pieces and the the decisions leading up to giving those set pieces which were a massive massive problem and it completely lopsided the game for us where does that come from then that 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 is it lack of discipline is it a lack of um concentration why are we why are we so vulnerable in in those instances i mean it's it's weird isn't it football is a strange game we've all said to you know that the the bump is coming we, it's uh you know you win the first four i'm not expecting to win every game but that's seven goals now against leeds and southampton now that's that is a little bit of a concern i'm not i'm not going to yeah. sit here and go oh god relegation battling coming because i don't think that's accurate either but I just, I'm just a little bit concerned that sometimes it can be a little bit too easy to play against us. That Southampton just had their way for the first half, said, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to play our own game, 3-0, be comfortable, take our foot off the gas in the second half and still be good enough to beat Villa. Same with Leeds. And, and that's a little bit of a concern. Do you agree? Yeah, the annoying thing is, I think it's those matches, the fact that we're back-to-back. If that Leicester match had split, split them, we're having a different conversation. So I think... It we really like turn into a negative bias based on the last two matches and the yeah, they've been the Leeds one was pretty outrageous. But um this one I think Villa may should take a lot of shine towards the end and maybe dent the, the, those negative expectations. But look, 
again, it goes back to the first half. It just wasn't good enough, giving yourself that much hard work to do. You have to, you know, Southampton did stop pretty much playing after 4-0, but they had every right to your four goals yeah. up. Most teams do take the foot off the gas, you know, and Villa had every chance to get back into the game because Southampton were like four goals up. We're testing you now. We're putting the impetus on you to come back into this game. Villa did, but they left it like, one goal was like 62 minutes. The next two were in injury time. So, yeah. but they had their chances and Southampton were very, very comfortable in throwing in the heroic blocks making the last gas, gas phase and forcing Villa to do everything just to get back in that game. So, yeah, it, it, there's some pretty... It's, it's bittersweet, I think, is how you class it. And in reality, I haven't heard what Dean Smith said yet because I'd probably still say he would say that that's only two, ba- two bad one-halves of football, a bad half against Leeds and a bad half against Southampton. So... I don't want to kind of throw the throw the baby out with the bathwater and yeah. say that oh it's all doom and gloom because I, I don't think that's true. And if weird things happen and uh, uh, you know the dodgy Arsenal turn up next game and we manage to beat them, things do look different. It's just I think because we've won the first four, we're all sitting here getting a little bit carried away. And now it's all brought us down to reality a little bit and going okay, let's not get too silly. Villa can still be vulnerable in this league, and that's that's to be expected, isn't it? Yeah, I mean. I think before the season, you look at Southampton as a team, you want to kind of track, you either want to be on Southampton's level or just beneath them because that means you've, you've improved from last season. So I'd be lying if I didn't expect we might lose by 1-0 and technically there is only a one-goal difference so that probably carries in some yeah. odd way. Um, but yeah, still, I think largely after seeing Villas fight back and how Southampton were willing to give them all the ball, let them test them, I'm still pretty disheartened that it wasn't a draw in the end. There's a, an interesting point that I've just thought of. Uh, it's one of those weird hypothetical points that basically means nothing. So if regular viewers of the podcast would be unsurprised to hear me make a <laughs> stupid point. But do you think, because I would still look at the end of the season and think that Villa, Leeds and Southampton will probably all be around the same area in the table between yeah. 10th and 15th. I think all three of those teams will be around that area. So would you rather have lost to Leicester and Liverpool but beat Leeds and Southampton and taking points off your rivals, essentially? Or do you think it's nicer to have beaten the stronger teams and that these two games are just a blip? Or, like I said, it's kind of an irrelevant point, really, but you know what I mean? Yeah, instead of focusing on the, kind of the exact teams we played, if you told me Villa would win four games out of their first six, regardless of the scatter, yeah. snap your hand off right at the shoulder, your whole arm's coming with me, you know, I'll be taking that straight there and then. I'm still incredibly optimistic about the, the performances in large that this team are putting. It's just these really silly moments. I think the Leeds game, a massive outlier because we were completely run over, we are completely exploited. This one's a little different in some certain ways. We essentially mastered the entire match. We was like, yeah. we'll create our own defeat and then now we'll create our heroic escape uh, from, from creating our own defeat. So it was uh, pretty odd that way, to be fair. But look, Four out of six, 12 are points. You've done a lot of the hard work. If you're talking about comfortably avoiding relegation and kicking on, you've done a lot of that hard work. I think where the disappointment comes in is people take that start and are thinking, you can really kick on now, which yeah. probably isn't going to be that much of the case. But look, we see what we turn out against Arsenal. I'm hoping for, if we are defeated, I hope it's because of an opposition masterclass and not us simply turning the board over for them. Yeah, I think to kind of put a nail in my own point there, um, 
I would rather have beaten Leicester and, and Liverpool because I think it's better to beat better teams. It shows that Villa are, are capable of, of beating a good side, and the Liverpool game will you know be historic and be iconic for for how it went. Um, I just think in terms of the points, if we are around the same uh, position in the table as Leeds and Southampton, I would rather have gained points on them than gained points on Liverpool and Leicester. But I think if you're looking at the games individually. I think it's better to beat better sides. It's just I just feel yeah that's probably created more frustration because I think well if we can humiliate Liverpool why why are we now being humiliated by Southampton and Leeds? Yeah, I think you go back to last season. One of the points I brought up a lot was there's two games that define Villa season in large, and that was two losses to Bournemouth. Where in the first one again you handed it completely to them. Yeah. I don't think Southampton are going to be in the same position as Bournemouth. But if you look at like West Brom, Sheffield United, not necessarily Leeds, but teams who might be in for a relegation scrap, you know, if if you were to hand six points to West Brom, then I'd be a worry because those six points you handed to Bournemouth last season essentially created your own relegation scrap if you just drew their matches Bournemouth season and Villa season changes entirely so um, it does matter who you beat but at the start of the season I think those 12 points are incredibly important rather than the opposition well, let's go to some of these comments and questions then from uh, that were coming in as we started. Stephen Irvine says, or Irvine, sorry, says, this game is a 90-minute game, so what's the issue that haunts us? Is it tactical in that we don't know how to break them down, or is it laziness? I don't think it's laziness. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's fair. I but think... there, there is an issue here that sometimes Villa seem like they can turn up and destroy somebody, and other times you think, Christ, Villa are way off it here. That That is an issue. Yeah, I think, like, with a team... With such a like, it's like Leeds. Southampton have a distinct style, and they're going to stick to that style, kind of regardless of who they face. There's a yeah. negative when they play Tottenham and they get busted on the high line, but there's positives in the matches they win. Um, you have to kind of make them think. You have to make them make some kind of decision. You have to test them. If you're making the game too easy, you know they're not second guessing themselves. They're always committing to the same old decisions and getting results. Whereas Villa. You know, they're getting everything chucked at them. They're getting set pieces taken quickly. They're getting um, short corner routines. They're getting Danny Wings suddenly, uh, Danny Ings suddenly popping up on the side of Matty Cash. And he really doesn't, he's not unsure where to commit because he's got some forward runners and a, and a wing runner running at him. That wasn't the problem with Southampton. Like, for Southampton, we, we just didn't make force any decisions for them. Whereas on our side, we were forced into quick thinking, rapid decisions. Yeah. And we lost all of them. We lost the Danny Ings goal when he's broke in from Matty Cash. And we lost that, um, free kick routine uh, when Vestergaard beats McGinn we, we, we were tested there and we, we failed to rise to the occasion so yeah, I, I, don't, think... I don't know who makes that decision no that's a problem who makes a decision to line up in that specific marking scheme for that specific because it was a, it's a corner scheme it's the exact scheme they used at a corner but it's not a corner so who makes that decision because there's only like 20-30 seconds between the foul and the set piece being taken yeah. so Dean Smith's not dropping down the touchline and screaming, is he? And like he's not making that decision from that angle. So who is making that decision on the pitch to line up in such a way? That's an interesting point. Obviously we have not heard him say, but something is very, very clearly went wrong for that first goal in such, yeah, in a horrendous way that really just threw Villa off their game. Yeah. And also the disallowed goals were in the first couple of minutes. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's just quickly mention that. It's not offside, is it? It is, but it isn't. If that was against Villa, because as much as I can sit here and we can talk about VAR lots and lots of times, we've been on the receiving end of some bad things. We've been on the receiving end of some good things, as everyone knows. Um, People never let us forget the Sheffield United Hawkeye thing. However, if that happened against Villa, I'd be fuming with that. 
I'm very grateful, and in the end, it ultimately hasn't cost us anything anyway, or, or cost Southampton anything, sorry. But that wasn't an offside, was it, with all the lines <laughs> up to the shoulder and all that? That's nonsense. I don't know we what the fans want to hear, because, look, we've been bit by that rule on the exact same ruling so many times, so if it goes against us, we've got to go against Southampton, it's got to go against Shad, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, as a Villa fan, I'm not concerned about it. Yeah. As a, as you know, as a football fan, I'm taking off my you know claret and blue spectacles for a minute. I don't want to see stupid decisions like that because yeah. I don't think that that should be offside. Anyway, uh, Jimmy Elliott says they had four shots on target, two of which were free kicks. We battered them in the last thirty minutes. We tried to play out from the back early on and caught under their constant press and being caught on the ball in our own half. Are you massively concerned by anything that you've seen today, or do you think it's just one of those games where they've had exquisite finishing? And Villa have made some decent chances in the game where Southampton take their foot off the gas, but not quite enough to get anything, and you just leave it at that and move on. Yeah, I'm concerned about the decision. It all comes back to the decision making because, look, um, I saw a comment pop up saying a decision for again that 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 um, set piece routine is made on the training ground, but some there was a clear mismatch and no one's taking responsibility for it. Whether it's McGinn shouting for help, whether it's Mings as a defensive leader going right we're changing this around whether it's Jack Grealish as the captain or the goalkeeper spotting it out no, the, the, the decision making in set pieces and on field in play really isn't good enough when when Villa are tested when they're right you, you choose either A or B they're always going for seemingly the wrong option whether it's Matty Cash going right I can't let this ball go through so I'm going to handball it and give it James Will Price a free kick from the exact position he scored in Yeah, you know it, comes, it always comes down to the speed and the accuracy of these decisions, and we've seen them go wrong in the last two games, especially. There's a comment here, and it's from somebody on Facebook, and I don't know whether it's a Villa fan or not. It might not be, but I wanted to raise it anyway, because if this is a Villa fan, I still think their their viewpoint should be allowed to be put across. Um, from Ben, who says, let's celebrate, we lost 4-3, Smith out. Now, I've stated many, many times on this podcast that I'm a big Dean Smith fan. I wouldn't change him when things were going wrong. I certainly wouldn't change him after winning four out of six. Um, and like I said, I don't know whether that's a Villa fan or not, because as we've seen before, opposition <laughs> fans do enjoy our content. Uh, you'll be surprised to learn. But like I said, if that is a Villa fan, he's got his right to his opinion. But I think that would be a very uh, knee-jerk reaction to look for a change of manager. But there has been a few comments saying things like, I'm not sure Dean Smith is the right man to, to push us on. But... Yeah, well, it's not something I'd agree with, but something I'm, I'm willing to put across as for other Villa fans watching who might agree with that. Well, aside from the kind of the, these matches that do pop up where Villa just completely run over and make these terrible decisions, you know, for the first time in a long time with Dean Smith, regardless of whether you rate him or don't like him or whether you're biased for him or against him, Villa have been on an upward incline in terms of progress. That they they have got better every single season. Yeah. That is a flat-out truth. Um, this season is still to be finished, but as we can see from the first six games, largely the, the four wins, Villa have gotten better. So, look, we need to see where this season goes before we make these, these kind of decisions and we come out here saying, Dean Smith out, Dean Smith in. Look, you've you got to sit on the fence and see where the land lies. And the land's lying firmly on his side right now with the, the progress we've made, the cup final playoff wins, surviving in the Premier League, kicking on after lockdown, all of these things kind of way and it's it's an upward incline for Aston Villa especially under Dean Smith and again the ownership director of football Villa should be going places so again it's a question for way way down the line 
Yeah, it's not um, <laughs> it's not the best. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what's it called like pool of, of people here because I, I, I don't know whether people actually are Villa fans watching or whether they're opposition fans there's not loads of people watching this so I'd assume that if you are watching this you probably are a Villa fan but I don't want to sit here and go oh 50% of the comments are saying Dean Smith out and 50% are saying Dean Smith in because I don't know who's who um, like I said I, I would stick with Dean Smith obviously I, I don't think there's any reason to be making changes uh, after after four wins from six but yeah. like I said entitled to your own opinion Um Let's talk about John McGinn. There's a few comments about him. I'm trying to find one to put up on put, put up on screen. People saying that he sh- he should have been taken off today. Um, were you surprised not to see Conor Harrahan make an appearance at some stage, or do you think McGinn has just got to play himself back into some kind of form because he didn't look his usual self again today? It's not really deflecting the question, but I feel like Dean Smith doesn't really rate any of his bench options that much because. We're not yeah. using them. We're not experimenting against Leeds when we could have maybe switched out the positions of our midfielders, especially Barkley and McGinn, just to just to give them a little bit to think about. Mm. We weren't. So I think when we've got these tools where we can say, bring Keenan Davis on, play two up front, take Ollie Watkins off and bring on a different type of striker, whether we change the midfield around, whether we play in the camber, if Louise is tiring, we, we, are, we aren't making these decisions across the board. And that especially goes for McGinn, Barkley. It's very will- unwilling to... To change there, it seems. Is that your dog barking in the background? Yeah, I've got to mute my mic, so it's so annoying. That's <laughs> uh, fine. Um, what else are people saying in the comments? There's a few people saying, so we've got Dean Smith in, Dean Smith out is ridiculous. Um, how does Smith out fans function in everyday life? It's absurd. Dean Smith <laughs> in, people are too reactionary. Uh, yeah, yeah I think, I think that, is the, the that is the football, it's, isn't it? It's like Wenger, right? It's like when people think of these decisions it's like you must stick yourself in a camp like i i'm never i'm never going to do that i don't think you should you should just kind of see where the land lies again as it things progress i mean you just got to stay with the flow because then it becomes a meme and it doesn't go away and people yeah. keep coming out with it and it feels like you have to make this statement oh now i'm dean smith out now i'm dean smith in nah we, we're a fluid flux football club and we are, are on an upward incline whether that's the manager committing to that or the the ownership structure, things are fairly going positive for Villa right now. So that conversation, I mean, you can still be critical. You have to say oh, of the, course, the, the routines, the marking, it's, the mixed marking scheme doesn't. It seems to be really imbalanced. Villa aren't doing well enough there. But look, largely, I think they're doing fine. So onwards and upwards. I've just seen a comment that I've lost now talking about Dean Smith in, but his decision-making can sometimes be poor. Here we go. As a Villa fan, I do like Smith, but as a tactician, he's useless nine times out of ten. And someone has also asked, I mean, I would say nine out of ten is is a little bit harsh. And someone also asked about uh, what's our plan B. I think that is maybe the biggest concern. I don't know whether it's a concern of Dean Smith as a football manager. I think it's a concern of Aston Villa's squad still isn't as strong as he would like it to be because we can't just go and make another 15 signings and improve the quality. I would be a little bit concerned about the fact that we've gone gone 3-0 down against Southampton, who is a game that we could be getting something out of before yeah. kick-off. And we don't make any changes to make to make a difference. We don't throw Keenan Davis on and try and play two up top. We don't take McGinn off to throw Harahan on there and try and give us something a bit different. Because if you bring Harahan on, you're going to have to drop one on the midfield and they all feel a little bit undroppable because they're not to the same quality of the bench. But because it's not working, you have to make a change, surely. So... That having no plan B is a bit of a concern. I don't think that's a Dean Smith thing, though. I think that's just that Villa don't have the options that they would like. Yeah, it's where the, kind of the chips fall because 
if you say he's tactically clueless nine times out of ten, like one of the, one of the goals comes from exploit. One of Villa's goals comes from exploiting the zonal marking scheme because they play a short corner. They do get robbed because the short corner isn't played good enough, but they do win it back and then thus able to exploit that short corner routine by yeah. playing Tyrone Mings. And that's how you do it. If you have, that's one example of Villa forcing Southampton to make some kind of decision on the fly. Um, instead of it being on the other foot, how you exploit that short corner routine, um, the zone of marking is you play a short corner and they're suddenly all thinking, what, what's coming here then? Is it going there? Is it going in? Are they playing it outright? You have to, you, you force them on the back foot all of a sudden and then Villa, they lose the ball, win it back and then get a goal because that is a tactical decision that's been made. Someone has planned that routine and that has to come from the coaches and the players on 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 the field because they've been coached. Then you get the negatives again, going back to that Yannick Vestergaard goal, hopefully for the last time today, where it is a bad decision that's made. So it's a mix, it really is a mixed bag tactically when it comes to Dean Smith, but I think mostly the right decisions are being made. I just don't think he has confidence in his bench or the depth of the squad, and that is a, a different issue entirely. Yeah, there's a great comment here from Liam who says Smith was a tactical mastermind after the Liverpool game, which yeah, yeah. exactly, that's the point. Football is a very fickle game, isn't it? That you know, what is it, three or four games ago, we were all talking about how Dean Smith masterminded a Jurgen Klopp, a win over Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool champions, and then a couple of games later, we're going, oh, maybe Dean Smith isn't the man. That's the reactionary nature of football, isn't it? And I think yeah. it's 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 important to try and find a bit more of a level um, a level mindset rather than being so so fluctuating like that. Um, yeah I'm going to end with a point from Jimmy I think I've put Jimmy on before he said four wins out of six we'd all have taken that before the start of the season it's just two losses on the bounce which makes it feel all the more disappointing yeah. which yeah that is the thing it's two games in a row two home games and I know that home and away isn't really a thing anymore but two home games against sides that you probably could be getting points out of after you've just won the first four as well that's what makes it disappointing I don't think in isolation losing against Liverpool uh, Liverpool Losing against Leeds and Southampton is a bad thing. It's just two games in a row after a great start that makes it feel worse. Yeah, exactly. I think largely there's still a lot of room for optimism and reactionary goes both ways. It goes for positive and negatives. People can be reactionary and positive, reactionary and negative. I think you see a lot of people holding up the XG map after the game going, look at this, we're (laughs) fantastic. And that wasn't the case. The only reason Villa were making good chances because there were four goals down. But this is why we can't use that single game XG. It's why we can't lean too heavily and expect goals. And it's why we must remain at all times when we can balanced and ideally fairly optimistic about things because four games out of six four wins we're, we're on a good we should be on a good path and hopefully we can kick on at the very least you know the low bar now is that's set a really really good base for a comfortable finish to the season so look let's see where the land lies we, we're only six games in we've got a long way to go another international break it's only eight games to the january window so we're going <laughs> to be able to make transfers very very soon <laughs> so like I am not immediately concerned about the things that are going on. I'm just immediately concerned that Villa are a decent enough football team who are constantly making the wrong decisions at the start of games that are digging massive holes for themselves. Yeah. I'll give you a, before I end on what I was going to end on just because there's four great comments coming in a row that really like sum up how we're just going round and round in circles but, but when I have my driving lessons my driving instructor always says that when you're at a crossroads and there's an A or B decision a 50-50 between either going and trying to get into a gap or holding off and being patient he says it's a 50-50 decision you've got two things you could do but 100% of the time you always pick the wrong decision every time I feel that's a bit like Villa that they can either play the ball and play someone in and score or hold on to it and lose the ball it's a 50-50 but Villa seem to get it wrong more often than not that's frustrating because you think oh if we're just a little bit better if we just made the right decision once more often per game we wouldn't be losing Um, 
but I don't think there's massive cause for concern, to be honest. No, I think uh, going to another driving thing, it's like, did your instructor tell you that when you make a decision, you commit, don't you? Like when, True, you, when yeah. you do something, you commit, you don't second guess yourself and then cause a bigger problem. If I'm going to swerve out in front of a lorry, I'm at least going to floor it and go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got to make that gap very, very quickly. <laughs> but if you make those decisions, you have to commit. And I think with Villa defensively, you see them kind of trying to manage the situation all at once. Matty Cash yeah. handballing instead of letting Walcott through. Matty Cash kind of figuring should he, should he deal with Adams or Ings what does he do where does he commit they don't commit to a decision and rightly or wrongly you know there we go yeah so I'm going to go back to these four comments that just prove how, <laughs> how much we go round and round in circles Chris says we're not fickle we just don't like losing which heard is that correct. one before uh, Christos then says the manner in which we lost was most disappointing yeah. Roger Black then says but let's be honest Southampton took the foot off the gas which is also true and then Paul Davis said up the villa still which yeah <laughs> exactly we go again don't we that's, that's the thing with football the games come thick and fast and if we get something against Arsenal the comment section will be very different yeah, I hope we come. Look, I, the, the people I feel very sorry for are people who are committing 15 quid to watch these games and turning them off at 55 minutes each day. Yeah. Um, again, you're going to have to do that against Arsenal, but I really hope that Villa come out of the blocks firing. Even if they don't, I hope they're making, even if they're making the wrong decisions, I want them committing there and then to making the wrong decision rather than kind of wondering what's going to happen. So, look, if they come out of the blocks firing against Arsenal, I'll be very, very happy, even if it's yeah. a draw, tight loss. As long as you can kind of correct that momentum and kind of not brush these two games under the carpet, but learn from them and move on. And you got to keep that positive trend going because Villa, as you put up on the screen, lovely, lovely um, sixth place after six games. For what we expected at the start of the season, we're probably trending above expectations for now. Yeah. 100%. We're, we're at two points a game at the moment. So that would put us on, what, 74 at the end of the season, which probably sees us getting to Europe. So we're still on course for a good <laughs> season, everybody. So I won't get too concerned just yet. Um, but I think we'll call it there for this Sunday afternoon. Um, thank you very much, James, for joining me. Uh, I do appreciate your thoughts on the game. Um, and we'll either be back in the week for another catch-up on all things Villa or it will be after the Arsenal game. I think we've got an AVFC extra coming up, haven't we? Do you want to give that a plug for those that are still watching? Yeah, so uh, ideally you're listening to this, the full podcast in your podcast stream we're watching now. Um, we've got an interview with Ben Dinnery, who knows all things injuries. He studies a lot of uh, injury data. And we talk, we spoke to him about um, the ACL and MCL injuries suffered by uh, Wesley and Tom Heaton. A little bit dated now because Wesley's back on the grass, but we're still expecting him to be back uh, around about the time we said of uh, January yeah. 2021. So there's still, there's still a lot of relevance there, but um, we went in and out on kind of the type of injury he suffered what it does the the rehab process and what you can expect from him going forward so uh it will be a really really interesting listen because we sat there and we were just kind of not not blown away but like what there's a lot going on with this injury that probably escapes the public eye because when you hear acl injuries people just hold up rude van nist really had a horrible one and then he comes back firing not always the case yeah, exactly. It is a good listen. So I think that'll be out on Wednesday or yeah. possibly Tuesday. Um, and like I said, we'll be back uh, after the Arsenal game, regardless if nothing else if, if nothing else pops up. I think it's a good time to get out of here because I cannot get my words out any longer. So thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll catch you again shortly. Up the villa, everyone. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the villa.